I have a question for you guys. Shoot. Okay, so Yoshi. Uh-huh. Yoshi uh-huh. is a is a race of dinosaurs, right? The Yoshis, they live on Yoshi Island, and they're just like a general, like, they, you know, oh, there's a bunch of Yoshis running around. Um, sure, I'll go with it. I mean, that is accurate. I don't think anyone would argue that a type of dinosaur mm, is called a I Yoshi. I don't want to be, a Yoshi. you know. It's fair, it's fair. I, I would say that maybe Yoshis are the dinosaurs of the Mario universe. Yeah, I, I fine, I would agree with that. Okay, okay. Now, the question I have is, is there an individual also named Yoshi who is a Yoshi? Yes. Or, or whenever we see Yoshi, quote, as a character, is it just one random Yoshi they found? Okay, you're saying, it, you're not asking, does Yoshi have a name? Correct. Because that's like kind of the Yoda thing. Right. You're saying, does Yoshi have a soul? Like, is there a is there a individual? Is there a light of recognition in Yoshi's well, terrible eyes when he sees Mario, or is it just the next Yoshi? Yeah, oh, I thought I, you were I, saying, is there Yoshi the Yoshi? Yes, precisely right. Is well, there e- Yoshi e- the Yoshi? Yes. We know a Chris person, the person. What? What? <laughs> you know, Chris person creates. Okay amazing roundups of you know video game moments for the internet he's a person i have an aunt whose last name her her maiden last name was human and then she became plant so she was both human and plant (laughs) she transformed but but in the case of yoshi that would be like Uh there's a dog and you just name him dog which i guess has happened hey russ it if you're gonna bring up really whack shit here you need to prepare for the fact that plant may just swat it out of the air like nothing i'm sorry but you attempted to dunk and he slapped it out of your hand with her name was human and then it was plant the discussions ended my friend you lost my good day sir my friend named his dog after himself so when they go to the vet they go bailey bailey because his last name is bailey Oh, so it's, it's kind of like that. But again, uh, I'm not dropping this. It's going to come up again because I'm not happy with any of these answers. I think Next we should week. just do this at the top of every show <laughs> until we get canceled again, which will <laughs> apparently be three episodes. <laughs> no, not that anybody can, but somebody will. <laughs> My name is Justin McElroy, and I know the best game of the week. My name is Christopher Thomas Plant, and I am a Morph Ball. <laughs> My name it's is Russ Fresh. I can't even follow that. It's My- not true. My name is Russ Fresh, and I know the best game of the week. Well, welcome to the Besties, where we talk about the latest and greatest in home interactive entertainment. It's a video game club, and just by <laughs> listening, you, my friend, are a member. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited to have you this week because we're talking about a very, I, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but a very good video game. It's called Metroid Dread. It's very uh, good. Can I tell you about this game? It is Please. the conclusion of the Metroid 2D story saga. Samus Aaron, who we met around when I was born on the NES, has battled her way through the Game Boy Advance to the, Wait, her? To the... Her? What? <laughs> Nothing. Come on. <laughs> just Russ and I are making a dumb joke.
about how it's a how Sam is a woman. It's a big uh, surprise. Keep it going. Keep it going. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. It, 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 she got the zero suit. She she got the, the other M. She's been through a lot. I and mm. now she is ready to to finish the game, as they say. And we are not going to finish this game because we don't want to spoil it for you, but we're going to tell you about all the good parts so that you give it a try. Yes, and we'll do that and so much more right after this uh, brief commercial message. Her? Y'all, you already know how much I love our sponsor of the week, Rocket Money. They make it so easy to get your personal finances on track especially stop worrying about all these subscriptions that you have that you don't necessarily need. Keep the ones you want. Get rid of the rest. Here's how it works. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. That might sound too good to be true. I have tried it myself on multiple different monthly payments I have and it's worked, which is incredible and so much easier than getting on the phone with all these companies and trying to wrangle this yourself. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. So cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash besties. That's rocketmoney.com slash besties rocketmoney.com slash besties oh man this is a good video game do we need to like actually talk about what this game is because uh, I we mean, might need it's to like sh- a metro <laughs> this is not okay if you know Met- okay a metroid god oh i can do so this, I can do this really like easy. a genre uh, named after it here it is imagine a big like when you're a kid and you drew like a, a map on a piece of graph paper and there are all these different doors, but you can only get in certain ones once you've unlocked necessary power. So it's like, oh, you got to go fast to open this, this door, or you have to have a certain bomb, or you have to have a charge weapon. And the whole game is going back and forth and back and forth, unlocking doors that you couldn't unlock before by getting the, the necessary skills to do it. And the story angle of this is that somehow... Every time Samus lands on a new planet, she loses all of her God-given talents and has to reacquire them from God himself. I mean, in this case, they actually do explain why that happens. She kind of gets yeah, like... Yeah, it's a very limp, but Knocked they do out it. and... It's uh, fi- what do they call oh, A physical yeah, a, amnesia, I think? Yes. No, a, a bird king. A bird king attacks her. So th- that's the other thing about the story. Real quick, Samus was... DNA injected by her bird rivals, but kind of surrogate parents who then got obliterated. And now she travels the world fighting both Metroids, which can destroy the the, the planet. And Z, is it Z or X? Yeah, it's X, but don't worry it, about it. It's okay. We don't need to explain Samus lore it, to think, anyone. You could read. There's a very good article by Maddie Myers on Polygon.com if you genuinely care. The truth of the matter is the lore is not what drives why these games are so good and why everyone loves them, why I love them. Um, 
for many, many, many years, Super Metroid was my favorite game of all time. Um, and I will say at the top of this episode, this game unquestionably competes with Super Metroid as the best Metroid game ever made. Wow. Wow. Okay, so let's drill down on this a little bit. Okay. It's not a major reinvention no. of this of this franchise in the way that like Metroid Prime when it first was released was, was a major reinvention. Which was a first person uh, shooter and kind of like right, a, thank a you, Chris, side yeah. story, right? Yeah. Um what what and, th- and there is supposedly I don't believe it when I say it, a fourth one of those uh on the way. Mm. Um but this is a sort of the the conclusion of the 2D franchise. What do you got what what separates this one in in your guys' mind? Sure. I think I think the big one is just the feel of it. Um, the second you pick up the controller, moving through this world, I, I honestly was like struggling to think of another 2D game that feels as good as Metroid Dread does just to move around the world. She's like fluid. She grabs onto ledges in like a smart, like reasonable way that doesn't feel like forced. It, um, it just feels uh, in the way that like, when you play Mario 64 for the first time, like that was sort of a groundbreaking moment. This feels like they've put that level of thought and effort into a 2D game. Like, and and some of that is like actual game feel, but some of that is animation. So like, if you walk up to a wall, you'll see Samus like put her hand on the wall or if you, uh, or like she'll like peer into like little crevices just to add this like extra layer of life to the world that just hasn't really existed in a lot of 2D games before. Yeah, the the comparison that I guess is only slightly more recent is uh Gears of War. What Gears of War did for 3D action shooters, which oh my gosh, video game genres are fun to say. Um but where it was like, oh, you felt like you were actually in the world when you mm-hmm. took cover. Like, it, it, it ceased. And I, technically, hey, Winback is coming to the Nintendo Switch Online. I've seen a lot of people ask, what the hell is Winback and why did it, is it on this thing? It's extremely because important. It's the original game that created the system that Gears of War then kind of took and made much, much, much more popular. But I, I that that is like the, the clearest comparison for me of like, Oh, this feels notably different yeah. than many of its peers. Even like I think that p- before this, in terms of game feel, I think the um, like top bar was probably the Ori series, which still feels incredible as a two D game. I think this beats out Ori for just like moving around the world and feeling amazing. It feels great. It feels great. It's smooth. It doesn't feel like I tell you the biggest hallmark of it is it doesn't feel like a hassle when you have to go back to um get to to some door that you couldn't mm-hmm. open before it feels like fun and fluid um and there's also the 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 scary parts <laughs> there's scary there's scary parts in it. what, what, what are the scary parts for you in in a game that so clear that in a franchise i would say that's so much power fantasy they very, 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 very smartly in metroid dread introduce sequences where you don't have power you are powerless against the thing. It doesn't matter how many stupid ass varia beams or how many you know <laughs> b- armor points you got on your suit. They don't care. They're these scary things called Emmys, which are not. It's not a scary name when I say it out loud, but boy, when you see them, they're like really scary uh, robots that are coming ceaselessly looking for you, hunting for you. And they're like zones. They have an area that is your theirs, and once you're in it, um, it is a single like 
basically single hit kill or capturing mm-hmm. they refer to it as you're you get tackled by the thing you have these little these two brief flashes that are randomly timed which took me a while to figure out <laughs> uh, because uh they're like i mean instant it's basically luck right i mean i i mean it's i got better at it the more i played the game you get better at it but there's still like a randomness to sure. it that makes it so you can't get the timing perfect and you can like deflect it the emmy but that just gives you like a second to run away and then they're back on the hunt and there's like the little traps throughout that just give away your location you eventually get like cloaking abilities that let you hide from the thing but even that's not as overpowered as it sounds you can like hide in crevices while they sneak around you and it's just like this really and then when they do eventually give you the ability to fight back against these things you feel awesome like it feels great like hey and then you have to kind of lure them to you it feels so so satisfying. Yeah, I was worried that it was because uh, they made a big deal about the Emmy parts in the marketing of the game. Like you kept hearing about it. And I was worried that it was going to feel like a stealth mission type thing where you get spotted and it's over or whatever. They actually feel it feels like a game of tag, really. Yes. Because you're just yeah. like, it's it's not a lot of like, oh, I'm going to sneak around. You do some of that, but it's mostly just like sprinting away and trying to like break line of sight which feels super, super good. And then, yeah, you finally get this power to like take one of them out. You can only take out one at a time and it just feels incredible. And then after you do that, you've got this whole new area that you can explore without having to stress about the fact that there's a robot chasing you. So it like further opens this map up, which is just like a really cool game design. I thought that was genius. To be clear, when Frush says tag, he doesn't mean the tag that you and I play. He means professional tag. Like if you yeah. go on YouTube and, and search for professional tag, where they have all those parkour sets around, it looks just like that. Yeah, where that's you are right. like sliding under things and rolling over things. Uh, I, I think the thing that I appreciated about this is it is confined little sections. So you can av- kind of avoid them to some degree. Um, I found it very forgiving where if I died once or twice with uh, in an Emmy zone and I just needed to get through it, I don't know if the game did this intentionally, but by that third time I started, the Emmy was so far away that I could run in the entrance and out the exit without even seeing them if I just sprinted. Um, so I found the Emmy stuff extremely forgiving. The stuff I did not find forgiving is the bosses, which I like a lot, but are considerably more challenging than anything else in the game yeah that's definitely true justin how i know you've faced a few of the bosses as well what they're is great it? i mean they're really smart and fun i mean like it, it is a challenge but there is definitely a they have a great gulf between this seems impossible mm-hmm. and then you learn the thing and it's like oh okay I get it. and the, the, it's very clever how it doles it out but once you get it it's not impossible to execute like the execution of it is not difficult. It's just in figuring out like the um what the what the trick is or what the gimmick is for for a given and it's not just like one thing you have to figure out for a given boss. Um it is it is a series of like best ways of of dealing with stuff. Yeah, I think it um, I think it's like a, t- a playing on tilt versus not situation where if you get kind of worked up as you're doing this boss fight and you're trying to like just go ham and fire missiles willy-nilly like you're just going to die. Like there's no question about it. But once you dial in the patterns and the attack systems and stuff like that, I f- it feels better than like 
Souls bosses in a lot of ways because I feel like some Souls bosses you just kind of get screwed over sometimes. Oh, a roll like the iframes didn't work or whatever. A roll wasn't right. precise enough. And here it really is like once you dial it in, you can dodge every single attack. I watched a video on on YouTube after the game came out of someone no hitting every boss, like not getting hit by any boss in the game. And so, I mean, that's an incredible design feat to make you feel like, oh, this is impossible. I definitely will constantly get hit by this boss. But in truth, that's not the case. Like you can you can really just go through it without getting hit once. To be clear, for people who are uh, just starting the game after listening to this, the first boss is easy. So <laughs> if you, you listen to this and then you like play the first boss, you're like, I'm ready. This is great. I'm I'm a pro gamer. Wait till you get to the second one. The one with the big, uh, like it has a, a belly and multiple belly buttons. That's the one where I that think it is. That didn't bother, see, okay, that didn't bother. That, really? I found that, yeah. Were you using a lot of rockets? Um. Well, I was at first. I I would say that I had to play it five times to get back. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, that's about, I probably did more. I Man, I got more frustrated by the Emmy. The Emmy sections are frustrating, but they're pretty fair. Mm-hmm. In that, if you get caught in one, it's probably because you're trying to get a little frisky. <laughs> Usually, when I get caught, I think like I'm not slowing down for this. I'm just gonna haul ass through it. He'll never catch me. <laughs> and then I would get like halfway, and they would just trounce me. Uh, if you take the time, it's not hard, but it is fr- like it is, and it and it's not the kind of thing where it probably sounds annoying. Where like you'd have to, you're like backtrack because these games are always a, a lot of backtracking. Like it's it you will usually have to go through an Emmy section like once or twice before you get the ability to like take them out, take it out, yeah. take it, take the Emmy out. So it's not like, uh, it doesn't make traversing the world annoying. And sometimes you get um, like, uh, it does a smart thing with shortcuts uh, also where like, if you go through an, anno- and I know this is like a pretty old whatever, but uh, idea, but it's pretty smart about if you go through an annoying section and you turn around, there's usually like a little thing you can blow up from that angle that'll give you quick yeah. access to this area again. Plan, I know um, we had talked about Metroidvanias recently with Axiom Verge 2, which was a game that like you started playing and it was kind of tough for you to start and then it kind of clicked as you played it. This is, I think, even more down the rabbit hole of like the core Metroidvania genre. I mean, it's a Metroid game, but it's that core concept, what what do you see as like the big difference here? What made it like more grippy for you? Well, I think this game is extremely clever in making you think you are smart and that you have freedom when in reality, n- neither of those things is true. Um, so the, the example I give is, you know, the classic thing with the original Metroid is they're, you know, breakable walls um, that you can bust holes in things that you would never know are there. And that reveals like a shortcut or like a mandatory path. And in this game, those are there too, but they are exactly where they would need to be uh, for you to get to where you need to go to without like spoiling it. But it, it's never subtle where a, a breakable wall is, yeah. um, except for like one point, which is extremely weird and uh, icky, but it, you can find a guide for that. You'll you'll know it when you find it. Um, the thing that I want to talk about freedom, though, which I find I like, but I can see how this would frustrate me as how I normally play video games. In the past, we've talked about this, that if a game says go A direction, I'll go B direction just to see what it does. And this game does not want you to do that. 
Um, if you see a door that is a teleporter to a world you've already visited, and that seems like not the helpful path, you should take it. Because if it yeah. put it in front of you, it it knows the the direction that you're going, and it is taking you to where you need to be to keep progressing through the story. Um, and that took me a minute to just accept because there were times where I saw that and I was like, well, that can't be what I do. I don't want to go back there. I'm having fun here. Um, and then I looked up a guide because I was stuck for, you know, 15 minutes or 20 minutes and realized like, oh no, I do need to take that teleporter because actually if I go through there, it'll, t- it'll lead me right to the door that I couldn't open before. And that opens up a morph ball. This is not a critique. This is, I think this is actually very smart design. There has to be some, support that gets you through this game um Mm -hmm. and it It is hard if you miss one of those which is this is a frustration for me is i wish there was some way to like if you miss one of those sort of signposts or it just doesn't click for you um and it's not a literal signpost obviously it's like you know hinting in, in with the path it is not super hard to get like lost isn't the right word because obviously obviously a map but like not clear about what you should be doing next Mm -hmm. um and that's mainly you know trying to play through it to get a good sense of it with limited time before we do this episode so there's a bit of a frustration there but i do wish that you had the ability to at least check to see like where do you want me to go especially because you take elevators between like very large areas and it can feel very concrete to say like, I'm getting in a teleporter, I'm going to the next area and it doesn't force you to do that. So it's like knowing whether or not that's the right move to given moment can be, can be tricky. I do do have a trick for you. Are you ready? Uh, So if you go into the map, one, you can see if you've used any doors, it'll say like used next to it, but two, you can select the type of door or like, when I say door, I mean like, oh, you open this door with the bomb. You open this door with a charge, whatever, whatever, whatever. Whoa, really? You can mark it, and then it shows you all the other version, all the other doors that have not been opened of that type. So, oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. so it, it makes it like very clear, especially if it's like, well, I just unlocked this skill. I will go. How are they the going to give me a tutorial how to do a morph ball? which I've been doing since I'm eight years old, but they're not going to give me a tutorial to do that. <laughs> yeah, the map is extremely useful. It's not super intuitive, but if you, I, I recommend spending a little bit of time with it just to kind of figure out its ins and outs because it becomes invaluable um, the further you go in the game. Yeah, so the, this came up recently in our episode on Deathloop where um, there was sort of this divide where Justin, I think, wanted something a little more guided and I wanted something a little more open-ended. And I actually think Metroid Dread is the perfect example of a middle ground between the two where you have that level of guidance if you like dig through the map and it'll tell you, oh, here's a door that you needed to break with a missile, but you haven't broken it yet. And you can find that in the map. There's no tutorial that really explains it great, but it is there in the map. The last like four or five Metroid games have all been like, go here now. It might not give you the exact path you take for every step of it, but it does give you a waypoint of exactly where to go. And that's always been something that puts me off about Metroid. When I think back to Super Metroid, I love the fact that it was so vague about where you were supposed to go next because I could get lost in the world. And this is the first game in a very, very long time where I had that click again for me. And finding the right way is part of the satisfaction of enjoying the game because it's like, oh, wow, there's this whole new area that I can now explore because I finally found it. 
And in the meantime, while you're str like trying to find that area, you're still enjoying just moving through the world. We talked about the game feel earlier. So I think this really walks that line very perfectly. Obviously, if you get stuck, there are guides online. The map, as Plant said, is very useful. But there are a lot of things in here that like click for me for a Metroid series that haven't in a very long time. Yeah, the, 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 I mean, it's just very clever in how it gives you that original Metroid feel in a fair way. The, my favorite example is, you know, using the Morph Ball bombs where you, you know, break a single block to find a hidden entrance. If you just look at the map, it will show you these like tubes that go from place to place in the map. So when you know the tubes are there, you know that there's a hole to break in a wall to get into that tube. Uh, so it's it's constantly like again if like I think you're spot on fresh like if you look for it it will it will help you yeah um, it's nudging you but it makes you work you you do have to actually look for it so if you it's not saying right away you know here's the the dotted line that gets you from point A to point B this game I'm gonna say it it's good I mean there it is there it is I mean there it is. <laughs> It's a good game. Um, I, oh, real quick, you guys played on? What'd you play it on? I played it on the OLED Switch. OLED. I played on the Switch Lite. Switch Lite. Oh wow! The Walmart let really let me down. This is a fun just sidebar. Uh, I ordered the OLED pre-ordered the OLED from Walmart in July, and they just stone cold. And there's tons of people search Twitter. There's tons of people in this same scenario where they're like, just didn't. I mean, it's just it's not. We there. might they, have it. They didn't didn't send them no update as of right now. Wild. No idea. So it's great. They just didn't just didn't do so it. So bizarre. Here's the good thing. Uh, it works well on any uh, any switch. So I will say it looks good on any switch. I did. I don't love the feel. Uh, you frequently have to use the uh, L and R buttons. You have to use like every it, button. It is. Yeah. Well, but you you frequently have to hold the like shoulder sure. buttons, and on the light, it doesn't feel. Using those a lot does not feel super great, especially for extended periods of time. Yeah, um, I, this was a game that I played a lot with the Joy-Cons and then switched back to my Split Pad Pro, and it helped so much. It's so much more comfortable using that. Um, I do miss the Rumble because it's one of the few games that like does the 3D Rumble that Nintendo does. But yeah, having an actual controller, whether it's like the Switch Pro controller is also very good, um, helps a lot. Yeah. Let's uh let's take a break. The, you get the idea. It's good. Like play it. It's good. Yeah. I don't know. Play it. It's good. We'll be right back. Her? This episode of the Best These is sponsored by Aura Frames. All right. So, you know there are a number of people in your life that are not necessarily the most technologically savvy. I'm sure immediately names jump to your mind. Those are the sorts of people that you would say, "Oh, maybe they would want a digital picture room in their house." but they wouldn't necessarily be able to like set it up and get it working and add new pictures and stuff like that. That is where Aura Frames comes in. It's a digital picture frame that allows you to basically upload any photos that you have directly to the frame. You don't need them to do any work. In fact, you could even set it all up before they even open the box. You have the account set up. You just have to connect it to their Wi-Fi. And once that's done, everything happens over the internet. So you can add new photos, you can do whatever you want, and it all works completely smoothly. I set it up for my grandmother, who's 95 years old. I set it up for my mom, who's 70 years old. 
and they both love their aura frames and they love seeing the pictures and new photos of the family all being added without them having to do anything. So I'd highly recommend it. I'm really, really happy with it. And right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code BESTIES. That's A-U-R-A frames.com, promo code BESTIES. Terms and conditions apply. You go get a phone. You just want a phone to talk to your friends and family. You're not asking so much. Then you get these contracts and you get ripped off because you got all this fine print little details and all of a sudden they're sucking money out of your pocket like some sort of digital leech. You know, the contract may sound good uh, up front, but there's always some sort of catch. You know who's not going to do that to you? Not going to pull that nonsense? Mint Mobile. Their wireless plans. There is no catch. $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those savings directly on to you. You want to pay hundreds of dollars for, like, literal hundreds of dollars for your wireless plan? Or do you want to have a nice, easy solution save some, put the bucks back in your pocket, pay 15 bucks a month? Say bye to your overpriced wireless plan's jaw-dropping monthly bills. The unexpected overages sound familiar? To get this new customer offer and get your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash besties. That's mintmobile.com slash besties. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash besties. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Well, uh, we, we, we mentioned it last week, but that we are doing a survey. If you want a, a free way to help the besties free, except for, I guess it uses your most valuable currency, which is your time. It would really help us out. If you would go fill out this survey, it's fun. It's interactive. It's an interactive survey because you're answering questions. And that's obvious on the screen when you're clicking things. It's bit.ly forward slash survey besties it helps us to know what advertisers would be a great fit for you and uh it helps us to uh keep the show running so if you would take a moment to do that uh you know it's pretty basic stuff um and it's anonymous so hey we'd really appreciate it it's bit.ly forward slash survey besties Hey everyone, Russ Froschick here. Uh, Sorry to jump into the episode. This is very weird and does not happen often, but I'm going to do it right here. We are about to talk about accessibility. I am not personally super happy with how I conveyed my perspective on accessibility, mostly because I should just know a lot more about the space before publicly speaking about it. So I sincerely apologize for that. If you're upset by the conversation, please understand that A, I totally get it, and that is a totally reasonable reaction, and B, we are trying to right the ship a little bit by having a true expert in the world of gaming accessibility in the form of Steven Spawn of Able Gamers. Steven knows way more about this space than any of us by, like, leagues, so uh, we are truly honored to have him. Please check back for that episode on October 22nd. For context, here was the original conversation we had on the matter. Again, I'm sorry. Here's that conversation. Fresh, you had a question for us, and I think it ties in well with a, a, a listener question, so I'm going to share that really quick. This one's from Lucas. What's your take on the game's single non-adjustable difficulty setting? 
how do you feel about game difficulty as it relates to game accessibility? I think this is, this is our segment B. This is not our full listener mail section, but I think uh, it's worth prefacing with that question for what you want to talk about right here. Yeah, so my the question that I set up in the rundown was, is it okay for big franchises to be difficult? Um, and they are actually very related, uh, the question, so I'm glad you mentioned the, the reader mail question. Um, this game... There's been some back and forth on the internet, surprise, surprise, about whether there should be an easy mode, which this game does not offer. It just starts at normal and gets, and normal is very hard or pretty hard. Um, and it also doesn't offer like accessibility functions if you, for example, uh, you know, can only play with one hand or have hearing or vision difficulty, stuff like that. Um, so, so none of that is in there. And the question is, is it okay for games, whether they're big franchises or not, to remove to just not have these settings? And I think a lot of people conflate game difficulty with game accessibility. And I do think that there are two different things, although they frequently end up kind of in the same bucket. So let me just define them real quick. Game difficulty is very simple. There's a hard mode. You take on four times as much damage as normal. That's like game difficulty. Game accessibility is... Uh, the, one of the earliest examples that I remember was in Celeste, where Celeste is obviously a very tricky platforming game. Uh, in the accessibility settings, you can turn on uh, infinite jumps if you want to, which more or less removes the challenge from the game, and you can just experience it from like a narrative point of view. So I think that's more in the realm of game accessibility. Um, obviously game accessibility is like a really sensitive topic because a lot of people uh, feel strongly about, Hey, I should be able to experience this thing despite me having, uh, you know, some accessibility issues. My personal, what I consider to be relatively minor in this scenario is uh, I'm colorblind. So there are certain games that I struggle with if they don't have colorblind settings. I don't know. It, this is a really thorny issue. My general attitude for both of these topics is a developer at a studio will spend three to four to five to maybe six years working on a game. It is their time that they're spending and their investment that they're spending. They have the right to determine what sort of experience the players have when, when playing that game. They've made that front-loaded you know, commitment and if they don't want to offer an easier difficulty setting or they don't want to offer accessibility options that would potentially also make the game much easier for people, that is their decision to make, even though it's a bummer for a lot of people that just can't make play that game. See, I, 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 I get what you're saying. I think that this needs to fall on the like console caretakers nintendo mm -hmm. xbox playstation all of them have a thing called a certification process which is like does this game meet the standards that we require it to be on our platform and i think that there are certain things that should be added to a cert process so that a developer if they want to be on these platforms if they want to be exposed to this large of an audience are required to hit them. And I, I think a colorblind mode is a fantastic example of one of those. There are, you know, indie studios that, I mean, Celeste being a great example, that include these features. I think it is 
bizarre that a, a game, effectively first-party Nintendo game, even though technically not developed by Nintendo, um, can't include even the basics. I do think that there is like a recognition of not every game can have every single accessibility feature, even and, though... And I think that's you know, the... Yeah, uh, but we're, we're seeing... I, I, the comparison I would make for something like Nintendo is Far Cry 6 has roughly a trillion features. Yeah. So it's jarring when you play something like Metroid Dread and it has none. Well, okay. So but we're, we're kind of crossing into a few different territories here. The You know, you talked about like certification process and having certain accessibility features required. Uh, you mentioned colorblind mode. I think the question there is where do you draw the line on like what is a should be included versus not accessibility? I certainly wouldn't want to be making that judgment call. As much as I'd love to see colorblind mode in every game, I, you know, I know there are other people that would want other things required in every game. So where do you draw that line? I do know that like Sony, as an example, for first party, you know, of their first party development has made it a huge development priority to make sure all of their games have accessibility, but it is not a requirement to put a game on PlayStation 5 to have that. Yeah. I, I yeah, I think it's, I really, I, I think it's two different conversations. Mm -hmm. I really I do. I, I feel like accessibility and difficulty are two different conversations um i think accessibility we should be you know the difficulty should not come from my items are hard to find in the environment sure. i think it gets tricky though because some accessibility features do make the game considerably easier this last example i gave or there's a lot of features in um in uh, last of us 2 that like for example auto lock on you just hold the trigger and it instantly locks onto someone's head nearby so like that makes the game dramatically easier and if someone wanted a much much easier experience they could craft that for themselves man i'm really torn about this i i, I don't know yeah i'm gonna talk without having like a really sure. strong like i'm trying to suss out my own feelings right like i i the my fir at first blush i feel like you should be able to experience the story of last of us because it is like a narrative heavy game without like these impediments of gameplay. With Metroid, I feel like it's the sort of game where there's not a lot other than the mechanic. Like it is a, a much more mechanical experience. Sure. And it's sort of like you're not if you're if you're removing a lot of those mechanics to clear the way for a narrative, like you're not really getting much out of that. Like you're not it's not necessarily like a, an experience that you, like not everyone deserve like has to experience the story of Metroid to have a, have a complete, you know, life. But I, at the same time, like, I don't, I don't want to, I, I, it feels weird to be the one who's like, this is a good enough story to be accessible. <laughs> yeah, like I, that's wild. Like, I, I think that, I don't know, it. but at the, but okay. Third hand, fourth hand, like if our concern is like experiencing the story at a certain point, like you can watch playthroughs, to get sure. that, you know, like I don't. What do you, What are we trying to preserve at that point? I, I, I think that it is not up to any of us to decide what are we trying to preserve. The comparison I'd make is it's like when film directors say they only want their movies seen in a IMAX with real film, right? And then people watch it on an iPhone and they get a wonderful experience out of it, but it is not, you know, the director's vision. That is mm -hmm. how I feel with games when you, again, add these features that maybe it does completely change the game, but it, it allows people to get their an experience with it in some form that they otherwise literally would not have had at all. 
And I, 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 it's, it's this weird, it's this weird thing where it's like the, I guess the fear is that like somebody's gonna play the game who doesn't necessarily need these accessibility features, and then they're they're not gonna have the experience they should have had. I, I'm not really sure what the the concern is. Well, let me let me just counter the director example just for a second. Imagine you're a game developer, and you feel. Let's pick Splunky as an example. Splunky is obviously a very hard game, no accessibility features whatsoever. You feel like that is the pure core experience for playing Splunky. Someone comes to you and is like, you need to add accessibility features to this game. And your attitude is, this is going to fundamentally fundamentally change the experience that people play with this game. I don't want to do that. Don't you think it's your right as a creator of that game to say, I don't want this in the game that I've been working on. I think a director who oh. has final cut approval would feel the same way. Yeah, it's, it's it's their right in the same way that Chris Nolan can be an asshole. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, and, I just don't. It, the it, format it, I, thing. I, I just fundamentally disagree with it. I th- and I know that that's a real example. I know that I don't know if Derek still feels that way, but that is how the creator of Splunky felt for some time. We're getting we're getting like way off the path. No, I know it's I yeah, think it's but there's something to it. I mean, it's like it, at a certain point, I think what you're starting to see get to is like, do you believe that mechanical design is art? Like, do you believe that the design of a game mechanic, if there if there's an art to game design, mm-hmm. then you should it, it then all expressions of that are valid. Like, there's no no one should be forced to like change that that art to make it more accessible in the much same way that we wouldn't expect an author to like use um a more limited vocabulary to make their book more accessible to to other mm-hmm. people um who may not have the same vocabulary that they do we wouldn't expect them to like limit their vocabulary here's um, here's another example i'd give going to a museum if you're visually impaired and listening to audio descriptions of the art that you see, you are no, you're not no uh, no 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 you're changing the discussion. Because How I, uh, accessibility features and difficulty are two different. Like I know I'm talking about accessibility. Not, Is that not an accessibility what, feature? What? So so again, I'm t- I'm talking about things that like you fundamentally. If you go to look at art at a museum, right? That is the way that the creator intended you to see it fundamentally, mm-hmm. right? Right. And then you, if you go and you listen to audio descriptions of it, you are experiencing it in a completely different way, but you're still experiencing it, right? That is that is how you make museums accessible. Sure, so again, I, I agree with that. A, but a, a game, and you are you're not experiencing the game as it was intended, but it is giving you some version of the game so that you can still appreciate it and be a participant in it. That but is isn't how it. I, isn't it up to the artist who puts that painting on the wall? Like if they went out and said, you know what? I never want a placard next to my art. I never want an audio recording next to my art. That is my choice. I created this thing. It's up to me to decide how my art is appreciated. Oh, absolutely. But if I was a museum, I would just not want to hang their art. Yeah, and then you wouldn't. (laughs) Sure. I mean, I, I argue the opposite side of this too when it comes to like live theater because a lot of proponents of live theater feel like it should like, it, it, that experience is sacrosanct and it it is not uh advantageous perhaps to film a live performance and make it accessible to people who can't physically get there and i've argued for a very long time that they are limiting the yeah. 
the audience of who like loves live theater mm-hmm. or loves theater period in in this country because you can't it's not accessible to to a lot of people um so like in that in that sense like i i guess i'm arguing that is a very similar argument i think where i'm on the the opposite but but uh, the creators the opposite side the theaters in this example are the the theater creators the playwrights and what have you know are aware that they are limiting their audience they are making a choice to limit their audience i'm not saying it's the right choice but for them they are making that choice for themselves and their piece of art if they wanted to throw a movie you know hamilton on uh disney plus they could do that but yeah but they're only doing that yeah but what we're talking about really is like what 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 we should expect from people like not not what everyone everyone has a right to to do whatever the fuck they want i mean like you know anybody could release anything it is is it like is what should we expect Mm -hmm. as you know we the gamers you know what i mean what 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 should what is like i think that there's a lot of things i mean like captioning you know what i mean it's like a great example like uh where if if it wasn't expected it may not happen you know like it you wouldn't want to leave that up to individual people um like i i i don't want captions it's all easy experience guess what motherfucker i watched your movie everything's captions (laughs) yeah everything my hearing's not great i have some say this is a manual i don't care (laughs) yeah right can't turn the volume up that loud you didn't balance your you didn't balance your audio Anyway, I feel like this discussion is probably insufferable for a lot of people, but it's only because they would love to be in here uh, hashing it out too. I wish I knew what Griffin thought, because I don't have a str- I don't know. I don't. No, I, have a strong, I don't like, think there's a, a very easy, like obvious answer to this. I certainly have feelings, but it, it's extremely difficult. And then we're again not even delving into the like, is it okay that this Metroid game is dramatically harder than any Metroid game that came before it? I don't like that's the whole other issue, but I don't think I think think we've gone long enough on people. (laughs) I will say this. I do think, though, I think we can all agree is that there is a problem if you are someone who is defining their self-worth through your uh, gaming achievements. So me. And sorry, me. you mean me? Yeah. Like if you're somebody like (laughs) us and and you feel like that that making that experience more accessible somehow cheapens or lessens your your achievements. I feel like that's where a lot of the counter argument on this Yeah, comes I don't from. actually. And that I think we can all agree is bullshit. is is, is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> that's bullshit. You need to do something do something different. You need to do, get some other chivas, some real life chivas maybe. Y'all. Um, I have some yeah. re- reader uh listener questions. Are you ready for I this? I hope they're not as spiky as the last one. Yeah. You brought that one. No, I know. It was a really good question. I appreciate them bringing it. <laughs> you you <laughs> you brought it. They had a well, complimentary question. This is me and Lucas praising are, yourself. Are, uh, simpatico then. Okay, okay. He, this one's from Ty. Um is Metroid Dread worth playing with no prior experience with Metroid games or is it simply a trip down memory lane for folks that remember? Chris Plant I yeah I as someone who has no love uh really for this series I think it's a great game to play I don't, I don't have zero prior experience but actually I probably have worse I'm not a huge fan of the games um so the fact that I am enjoying it yeah I I think this is as good a time as any to start which goes to our second uh question uh from uh Katie aka Dr Pepper the 3rd as this is apparently the fifth 
and final game in a series, is there any important Metroid lore I need to catch up on going in, or is knowing that Samus is a cool bounty hunter who kills Metroids and hates a purple dragon named after the director of Alien sufficient? Uh, okay, so I'll address the fifth and final game of the series. Before the game launched, the developers were like, this is the end of the arc that we've been telling since Metroid 1. Um, it should be noted, this will not be the final Metroid game, and I'm not even counting Metroid Prime 4. I would be shocked if there was not another 2D Metroid game that came after Dread. It might take 10, uh, 19 years to come out, but I don't think this is the end of the series series as Metroid is. Um, so I guess I would say, to answer the question, you don't really need to know. The game starts with like a very brief explainer of like how we got here, and that's probably plenty for most people. Again, there are wiki pages and articles all sorts of the all over the place if you really care. But there's this game is like 95% gameplay and 5% lore. So I really wouldn't stress about it. And there will be more Metroid games. I'm obviously biased. I do really recommend the Polygon Explainer by Maddie Myers on this because it is concise, which a lot of the explainers aren't. And really, the only reason I would read something beforehand is to know what the hell the giant bird creatures are, because I had no idea about all the bird creatures, and it turns out they are crucial to the Metroid lore. So, yeah, yeah I, would, I guess they I don't really read... explain that at the beginning, huh? They, they, well, they kind of do, but it's very fast, and it helped that I had read before seeing the kind of pseudo cutscene. The thing with the uh, this being the final game of the series... I really have a feeling that they know that they've uh, put themselves into a corner with this lore not being super great and being extremely repetitive. Like, how many times can Samus, you know, keep uh, having her suit destroyed? I, I have to imagine whatever comes next is a reboot that is, like, a separate timeline. Uh, because it, if they want to take this into any, like, modern direction, I think the, the lore needs a, a full full demo and rebuild uh I, at this point i do not think that that will happen um but i do i do agree that i think at this point it's hard for me to imagine them pulling this trick out of their hat again and having the same reaction i think it might be time someone i think jeff grubb on twitter was saying that this is kind of like a link between worlds and it might be the game uh, the next game might be the like Breath of the Wild for for Metroid, oh. where it like totally re envisions what a Metroid game is. I would be very, very into that because I don't know how many more they can do of this format. But uh, yeah, we'll see. You guys been playing anything else good? Um, I wanted to call out. Uh, so I, I, as I mentioned, I played Metroid on the OLED Switch, which is very good. Um, I wanted to call out another game, which is incredibly good on the OLED Switch. If you've just purchased one. And that game is Tetris Effect Connected, which has arrived on the Switch. Uh, obviously, we've talked a lot about Tetris Effect being one of the best puzzle games ever made. Uh, it manages to improve on Tetris, which is quite the feat. Um, and it uh, looks absolutely stunning on the OLED. The music sounds great, uh, whether it's speakers or you're playing with headphones. Um, and I found that I, when I play something like Stressful or Intense, uh, I, I always end the night playing like a round of Tetris effect and it like chills me out to no end. So it's awesome. Fantastic plan. Uh, I, I, it's spoopy season. So I got another movie recommendation. I watched 
13 Ghosts, not the old one. The not, well, I guess, newish one. It's like 20 years old. It's got uh, Tony Shaloub. It's got Shannon Elizabeth. Sold. Stop selling. It's got, are you, <laughs> you already said Tony Shaloub. Oh, wait, wait for this. Matthew Lillard. And let me yes. tell you, Matthew Lillard is the most underrated actor of his generation. He's. I've been fucking saying this forever. Matthew Lillard rules. He's unbelievable. He gives, he gives, a, 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 no joke. He gives an Oscar effort in this movie. Do I think he deserves an Oscar for this movie? No. I mean, you, you still have to have the words, you know, to, to, to say. Yeah. But it, but he's like putting it out. There. Like he's there. He he's putting, putting in the effort. It out there. I, I don't know if this is true or not. If this is, you know, urban legend. But I heard that like he had to quit acting for a while after the Scooby-Doo movies because he blew out his voice box doing the Shaggy impression. Like... What a what a guy! And now he runs a tabletop company for like tabletop games. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's great. Man. Anyway, Thirteen Ghost. If you want some real kind of late nineties, early two thousands uh, cheesiness, uh, they, they everybody wears these really bad looking. Uh, they look like white Oakleys with like lights inside that allow them to see ghosts. <laughs> Yay! You've got it. The house is made of glass. It has Latin. It's great. Where um, can people watch that? Who? Where? Did I, I think it's on HBO Max. I, okay. uh, HBO Max seems to be the answer to all questions these days when it's streaming. Uh, see, I disagree because I want to mention three from Shudder that I've been enjoying Ooh. for the scary season. One is Slacks, S-L-A-X-X. Oh, dangerous Clothes. It's a movie. Yeah, Murderous Pants. Uh, it's great. Last night I watched The Boys from County Hell, which is an Irish vampire movie. Uh, which is a little bit sort of the Shaun of the Dead, but a little bit more, a little bit darker than that. It's very sorry, cool. Sorry, wait, wait, wait. Uh, before also, we go forward, do you say County Hill or County Hell? Hell. hell. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, it's, okay. It's a wit, yeah. And then The Columnist, which is a Dutch movie about a uh, a writer who gets tired of people criticizing her on the internet, so she starts marketing. Got it. Oh, wow. Uh, it's great. <laughs> yeah, it's really, really, really good. Uh, but game-wise, I wanted to say – Two, very quickly. One is Farm RPG. Griffin mentioned it last week. Um, if you're looking for something like very brainless, but also like kind of neat and and relaxing. Oh, so relaxing. Uh, it's a, it's on iOS and you just sort of zone out and have a farm and chill. It's great. And the numbers go up. That's important to note. The other one is like the polar opposite of that. It's the Artful Escape. This game is great. Like the Artful Escape is an, uh, it's an indie thing. Uh, and I think it did not get much play when it was released. Um, it, it, it is, uh, it's released by Annapurna developed by a company called Beethoven and dinosaur. It is a, I guess you'd call it, a, um, maybe an experiential platformer. Ooh, yeah. I like that. Uh, where you are, you are. Don't uh, sound surprised, Plant. The, we talked a little bit about this on the Resties, so. No, I know, okay. but I like that term. You didn't use it. Oh, that. oh, fair. <laughs> no, I am. I coined it just now. Um, it, you're a, uh, uh, the, like, nephew of a great folk singer who everyone is expecting to be, you know, sort of following his lineage, but you have the heart of a sort of glam rock idol. And it is a beautiful journey of, like, uh, finding yourself and experimentation in a very surreal sort of uh, landscape. You have a button to play guitar almost all the time and you can just like hold button to do guitar solo and playing your guitar like 
wakes up the world around you uh, and like brings it to life. And it's like not a mechanical thing. It's just like cool. You do it because it looks cool and you're like sliding down a hill, wailing in your guitar and like these giant alien plants are growing all around you. Um, it's really well acted. It's got like a surprisingly um, great voice cast um, in, in the game. It feels like it takes itself pretty seriously um, and, and not in a bad way, in a way that like really makes the experience hand like Lena Headley's in it. Uh, Carl Weathers is in it. Jason Schwartzman, Mark Strong. Um, it's got like a really, and Michael Johnston is like, like the lead. It's kind of like a really great cast and it's just, I don't know. It's something you really should sort of like vibe yeah. on. It's not challenging in any way. There's almost no challenge to it. It is very much about the experience, but that experience is really It's not really on good. Switch though, right? It's not on Switch. It's on Game Pass. Dang. Um, okay. So you could get it on Game Pass for free if you subscribe to that. Um, but yeah, it's. I, I would actually recommend playing it on like the biggest, nicest TV you have because oh. it really is. Headphones, headphones are great too. It's like yeah. you very much have to. Okay. Yeah. Hey, experience. Crush, it. Who do we have to thank? Thank you very much to the people who have written reviews for the besties. Uh, Red the Rose, Wompity Womp Womp, Clay Kramer, <laughs> the Uncool, and Husky Sushi. Really appreciate uh, y'all for writing reviews. Appreciate everyone else for writing reviews as well. Thank you. Uh, keep them coming, please. We always appreciate it. We are nearing 4,000 reviews on Apple Podcasts, which is just so fucking cool. We love to see it. That's wild. Uh, okay, stuff that we talked about today. I mean, pretty much Metroid Dread for a long time. And then, uh, as y'all said, Treacherous Effect Connected, uh, The Artful Escape, Farm RPG, and then just a series of movies, because I'm making an impression here. We got Slacks. The Boys from County Hell, The Columnist, and you know we got the Tony Shalhoub 13 Ghosts. Uh, you should check that out. Next week, we have Far Cry 6. Uh, I, I think I will be traveling, so I might not be here for that. We also have Orestes appearing Tuesday before that. Uh, and you know that I will be talking about Tales of Arise and uh, Outer Wilds DLC, not Outer Worlds. Uh, so we got a lot of good stuff coming up. It's a busy season. It is. It's the reason for the season. <laughs> thanks. It's beautiful. Plan. Thank you. <laughs> and thanks to you for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week for the besties because shouldn't the world's best friends pick the world's best games? Her. Steve.